0: Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Amen. Does anybody else love that song? I mean, that could preach right there. We'll just call it a day. Uh, after that, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. Also, if, we, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to put a copy of God's Word into your hands. You can either take that Bible that's there in front of you. Or as some have told me, they kind of feel weird about taking that Bible. But if you you don't want to take that Bible and you don't have one, come to me and, and we'll get you a Bible because we want everyone to have a copy of God's Word in their hands. What a gift it is to be able to have our own copy of the Word of God. I'd like to begin this morning by saying that I am so thankful for the Father figure's in my life. I'm thankful for my father, Armando Lopez, who taught me the importance of having a strong work ethic, to work hard at whatever you're doing, to stand, to be able to stand on your own two feet. Most importantly, who modeled for me what service to others looks like. I'm thankful for my grandfather, Buck Jackson, who's 88 years old and who models for me what a godly man looks like. He also models what it means to be a godly husband. He and my grandmother have been married for over 65 years, and he's modeled what it means to be a good father. My grandfather, as I said, is 88 years old, and he still continues to serve faithfully as a Sunday school teacher and as an active deacon in my home church in Port Lavaca, Texas. My grandfather is showing me what it means to finish life well as a faithful servant of the Lord. And I'm also thankful for my mentor, my spiritual father, my Paul, Brother Charlie Robinson, a man who I met over 10 years ago and began to meet with regularly to discuss life and ministry. He's a man that I know that prays for me daily. He encourages me. And he provides me with godly counsel. Church, I tell you that I would not be standing here before you today if it were not for this man, Charlie Robinson. He, he entered into my life right at the appropriate moment, right as I was about to enter into probably the most difficult time of my life. And over those three years, he helped me to navigate that, those waters, difficult waters. So I'm thankful for Brother Charlie. Praise God for fathers. Praise God for father figures. I cannot cannot begin to communicate how important fathers are in our lives. You see, there is a need within all of our hearts to be fathered. You see, the need for a father in one's life is so great, and yet we live in a culture of fatherlessness. In the United States today, studies show that there are anywhere from 20 to about 24 million, depending on the study, 20 to 24 million children in this country that are growing up in homes without fathers. One in every four children, 25% of the children in this country are growing up without fathers. And we wonder why the family unit in the United States is dissolving. Now, as it's been said, I wanna take a moment to say that I understand that for a number of people, the word father does not produce good thoughts or feelings. For some, the word father actually has a negative connotation to it because not everyone has a good earthly father. For some, the word father brings up feelings of abandonment, anger, Shame. For some, it brings up fear, insecurity, conflict. And for a number of people, it brings up pain. And that can be physical pain, because maybe there was physical abuse by your father, or emotional pain. There are some who are here today who may not know their earthly fathers, or even care to know them. And while earthly fathers are flawed, and we are, I know I fail many times as a father, and many times our earthly fathers can let us down. We have a heavenly father who is perfect. We have a heavenly father who will never let us down. He is always there for us. And so today on this Father's Day for our time together, I would like us to focus on the Father, our Heavenly Father. And I wanna pose this question today, how well do you know the Father? See, from the time that I was a child to this very day, I've always enjoyed hearing stories from both my father and my grandfather about their lives. I love to hear stories from their childhood when they were growing up, stories from their teenage years and as they entered into adulthood and in the early years of their marriage. Because you see, by knowing about their lives, knowing what their hopes and what their dreams were, I feel a deeper sense of connection with them. And it's their stories that provide insight into who they are. As I began to think about how well I know my father and my grandfather, the Lord laid the thought on my heart. Justin, how well do you know me? How well, or or, or do you have the same desire that you have to know your earthly father and your grandfather? That desire that you have, do you have that same desire to know me? Your heavenly father? Church, we have a heavenly father who wants us to know him. He longs to share his heart with us. He longs to reveal himself to us. And this is what is truly amazing about God. This is one of the things that makes makes God unique. Unlike the, the God's little g, of other religions, the one true God, capital letter G, is a God who desires to be known. He's a relational God that desires to be in relationship with his creation. Jesus came and he tore the veil away so that we could look directly into the heart of God. He revealed the Father to us so this morning in the time that we have remaining, I want us to spend some time getting to know the Heavenly Father. Would you pray with me? Father, now I pray as we open up your word that you would speak. Holy Spirit, give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear, for we know that understanding of the word of God comes only from you. May you be glorified, Holy Father, in the proclamation of your word. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. The message that I have for you this morning is a simple message. It's simple, but yet it's very heavy. And I want you to feel this morning the weight of the Word of God. So if you would, rise to your feet with me as we read this passage from God's Word. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7 through verse 11. Hear the words of the Apostle John: "Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I want you to feel the weight of those words. God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our Sins, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. Attempting to describe the Father is indeed a difficult task for any believer. You see, we are finite beings trying to understand and then describe an infinite being. What can one say about God? How can one put into words the indescribable? Writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John reveals the key to understanding our Heavenly Father. In three short words, John tells us exactly who God is. If you would, look back with me in verse 8. The the second part of verse 8, John says, For God is love. Three short words. God is love. It has been said by some theologians that this sentence is arguably the greatest sentence ever written. And again, church, I want you to feel the weight of John's words this morning. God is love. For over 2,000 years, Christians have sought to mine the depths of this truth, and yet we have yet to get to the bottom of it. To say God is love is to speak of his very nature. It is his essential quality. It is who he is. Dr. Tony Evans says that God is love, quote, is God's self-description. It's how he describes himself. Any discussion about God must begin with love. For God is love. But love is not just something that he does, but it's who he is at his very core. It's his identity. Now, love is not to be understood as simply one of God's many actions, but rather that all his activity is loving activity. For you see, when God creates, it's out of love. When God provides, it's out of love. When He rules, He rules out of love. When He judges, He judges out of love. When He forgives, He forgives out of love. And when He disciplines, He disciplines out of love. And why? Because God is love, all He does is loving. Love has its origin, an ultimate source in God. If we can jump back up to verse 7, John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Love is from God. One commentator said it this way, quote, The controlling principle of the universe is not an abstract quality of love, but a sovereign Living God, who is the source of all love and who himself loves, end quote. Love is not something that we actually do naturally. Love is a gift from God. He has always been love. There has never been a time when God has not been loving It's a part of who he is. But I want to make sure we're clear about something. While God is indeed love, God is love, that does not mean then that love is God. It is not reversed. God is love, but love is not not God. You see, love in and of itself does not define God, but it is God who defines love. You see, without God, there is no love. Without God, there is no love. Famous pastor from a previous generation, A.W. Tozer, said, quote, The love of God is the hardest of all of his attributes to speak about. It's like trying to take the ocean into one's arms. It's like trying to embrace the atmosphere, end quote. You see, love is such an integral part of God's being that it can never be absent from him. I love how one commentator said it. He said, quote, love is intrinsic or essential to the character and nature of God, End quote. But what kind of love is this? Because as you know, there are different words in the Greek language for love. What love is he talking about here? This is the word Agape. This is the love that is unconditional, meaning that it's not dependent upon you or me, but it's based off of who He is, not who we are. It's a love that is totally committed, it's a love that is self-sacrificing. So, was the Apostle John content with simply stating the fact that God is love? No, he wasn't content with just stating that as fact. You've heard it said that actions speak louder than words, correct? For you see, true love is never static. It's never inactive. True love requires action. For the action serves as proof of the declaration of love. You see, if all I ever did was tell my wife Brynn that I loved her, but I never showed her that I loved her. How would she take that? Would she believe that I really loved her? Of course not. Because love requires action. In church, I want to tell you today that God was not content with just telling us that he loved us. He wanted to show us. Look with me in verse 9. By this... The love of God was manifested in us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Manifested. The love of God was manifested. What does that mean? To be manifested means to display or to show, to demonstrate or to serve as evidence or proof. So how is it that God displayed his love? How is it that he showed it? How is it that he demonstrated it or proved his love to us? John begins by saying, by this. That means pay attention to what's about to follow. By this is how God showed his love. It was God who took the first step. Notice it says that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. It was God who took the first step to show that he loved us. He is the initiator of salvation that God sent his only begotten son into the world. Church, I want you to see this morning how much God loves you. Notice, He did not just send anyone. He didn't send an angel to tell us. He came himself to tell us how much he loves us. He gave what was most precious to him. He gave his only begotten son. Only begotten. That word, begotten, means unique. That there was none other like him. He was a one of a kind. And notice it says, God sent. God sent. It means that he cared enough to do something about our state. God saw us in our brokenness. He saw us in our sin. And instead of just letting us perish in that, he did something about it. He sent his son, the very best. And why did God send his only begotten son? The latter part of verse nine says, so that we might live through him. For you see, church, apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope of salvation. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope of eternal life. Second Peter 3 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God wants none to perish. You see, the heart of God is to rescue the perishing. God's heart is to give mankind life through his son, Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus himself told us that he came that we might have life, and life abundantly. Don't miss the implication of this verse when God says that he came that we might live, what does that say about our state before we know Christ? In the book of Ephesians, chapter two, verse one, and then verse four, we find out what our state is before we know Christ. The Bible says, and you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses, and sins. But verse 4. But God. Being rich in mercy. Because of his great love for us. Because of the great love which he had for us. He sends Jesus. To come and take away our sins. If we would just believe. You see it was the love of God the father. That compelled him. To send his son. God sent his beloved son. And and hear this. Don't forget this. God sent his son knowing how horribly he would be treated while he was here. God sent his son knowing the pain and suffering that he would experience on the cross. Jesus' death was not by accident but by appointment. God sent his only begotten son. Church, this is how God loved. This is how God loved. And why? Because God desires to give us life. Verse 10. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, the apostle John wants to demonstrate to his first century readers and to each of us today exactly how God is love and how he demonstrated that love. Again, not that we loved God, but that he loved us later on in the passage in verse 19. John will repeat this when he says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Because of the fall, we were born with a sinful nature that does not naturally love God. In fact, Romans 5.10 tells us that we were at one time, we were enemies of God. For if while we were enemies, the Bible says, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, it's God who is making the effort, not us. It is God who does the pursuing, not us. And why It's because of his love for us. His love for you and his love for me compels him to do so. It makes you wonder, who chases after someone that wants nothing to do with them? Who does that? We don't pursue people that we know don't want anything to do with us, but yet that's not God that is one of the truly amazing things about the love of God, that we were all in a place when we didn't, God was not even our, on our radar. But you know what, church? We were on his. You are always on God's radar. I want to say this too, because to me, this is, this is heavy. You are wanted By the Heavenly Father. You are wanted. And not wanted in a bad way like you're up on the picture in the post office wanted with a reward. Not like that, but wanted in a good way. It feels good to be wanted, doesn't it? Right? You know, when our loved ones express that, how much they love being with us, like that That feels good. It makes us feel good inside to be wanted. We all want to be wanted. Well, let me tell you something, church. If you're here today and you don't have anyone in your life that you feel like wants you, there's a heavenly father who wants you. God demonstrated his love for us and that he sent his one and only son that we might have life in him can I tell you something else, church? That life that we're able to have in Jesus, it comes with a price. The grace that was bestowed upon each of us, the grace that is there for us to experience was not cheap. The price tag is high. It cost the son of God his life. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Tim Pilant's in the back there doing the slides. My brother Tim loves this word propitiation. So this is for you, Tim. Propitiation, it means the appeasing of wrath and gaining the good will of an offended person. Now I want you to hear me and I wanna be clear about this. While God is indeed love, He also punishes sin. You see, some think by talking about the love of God, then we forget the fact that he's righteous and that he's holy and he's just. We forget the fact that because of those things, God must punish sin. I wanna say it clear so that I'm not misunderstood. God has not gone soft on sin. And we are not going soft on sin. We will call sin out for what it is. John makes it clear, though, that God had a plan. God had a plan how he was going to deal with sin. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, there is nothing that we could do to appease the wrath of God. There's nothing that we could do to placate that wrath. You see, the payment for our sin was too much for us to pay on our own. We couldn't do it, but God had a plan. You see, by Jesus dying on the cross, he bore the punishment of our sins. He met the Father's just demands of His holy law. I love how one commentator stated it. He said, quote, The ultimate manifestation of God's love was not seen at Bethlehem. The ultimate manifestation of God's love was not seen at Bethlehem, but at Calvary. End quote. There's another great song that I think illustrates this. It's a southern gospel song. Some of you may know it. It's called Written in Red. Has anyone ever heard that song before, Written in Red? Here's a few lines from it. It says, in letters of crimson, God wrote his love. On the hillside so long, long ago, for you and for me, Jesus died. And love's greatest story was told. I love you. I love you. That's what Calvary said. I love you. I love you. I love you. Written in red. Are we worthy of this ultimate sacrifice? No, we're not. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, verse six, and then in verse eight, for while we were still helpless, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, this is the measure of God's love, that he would give his son to die for such a one like me and like you. We also sing that line from the song, Amazing Love, How can it be that you, my King, would die for me? You see, it is an unfathomable love that the Father has for you and for me. And we can spend a lifetime trying to understand it. This is the love God has for His church. Now, knowing that, How do we respond? John tells us in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Going back up to the top in verse seven, he tells us, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It goes back to living out the great commandment. Love God and love one another. It's that simple. Jesus told us in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by this, your love for one another, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, A.W. Tozer, quote, How can we be the recipients of such amazing love and continue to harbor grudges and resentments and and to engage in petty squabbles? End quote. Hear me, church. We are the people of God. And because of that, we need to act like it. We are the people of God. Why is it And I'm speaking in a general term here. Why is it that as Baptists, what we are best known for is fighting with one another? Why is that? As Baptists, we claim to be people of the book. Well, I just read to you from the book where Jesus said, this commandment I give to you, that you love one another, so proving that you're my disciples. But yet we fight. We're known for fighting with one another. It's been said that, quote, the church is the world's window to God. The church is the world's window to God, end quote. You see, God reveals himself through the lives of his children. Because you see, men can't see God, but they can see us. Our love for one another reveals God's love to a needy world. So that begs the question, what kind of God is the world seeing manifested in your life? What kind of God is the world seeing manifested in your life? A Salvation Army worker found a woman in very poor condition alone on the street one night, and he invited her to come into the chapel to find help, but the woman refused. The worker assured her, We love you, and we want to help you. God loves you. Jesus died for you. But the woman did not budge. As if on impulse, the worker leaned over, and he kissed the woman on the cheek, and he lifted her into his arms, and he carried her into the chapel. The woman began began to sob, and like a child, she trusted in Christ. The woman then said to the worker, you told me that God loved me, but it wasn't until you showed me that God loved me that I wanted to be saved. You See, people have to see the love of Christ in action. Again, I want to say, Hear me, church, those that are here, those that are watching online and listening. Christian, stop fighting with your brothers and your sisters because the world is watching. People are dying and they are going to hell every day, not because the love of God is insufficient. They are dying and going to hell because of God's children. The way we treat one another is keeping people from coming to know Christ. It is. The way we treat one another is keeping people from coming to know Christ. Again, John says, he sums it up. God is love. And there is power in this statement. God is love has the power to break the hardest heart. It has the power to reach men and women who are stuck in their sin. You see, the love of God, it sounds too good to be true, but it's not. It is true. This is the story of Scripture. This is the story from Genesis to Revelation. It's one story about a loving God who gave everything to be reconciled with his creation so that they could be in relationship with him. Why does it matter that I understand that God is love? Because it's his love that draws me to him. It's his love that sustains me through the ups and downs in life. It's his love that calls me back when I tend to wander away from him. And I wanna leave you today with these words from another great preacher from a different era, R.A. Torrey. He said this, quote, "'God looked down upon this lost world upon you and me. And he saw that there was only one price that could save us. And he did not stop at that sacrifice. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the most amazing thing in the Bible. You see, you and I sometimes dwell upon the love of Christ to give up heaven for us. We look at him in the courtyard of Pilate, Fastened to the whipping post, with his bare back exposed to the lash of the Roman soldier, we look at him as the lash cuts into his back again, again, and again, until it is all torn and bleeding. Oh, how he loved us. But looking down from his throne in heaven was the Father. And with every lash that cut into the back of Christ, it cut the heart of God. We see the soldiers with the crown of thorns pressing it in on his brow. And we see the blood flowing down. Oh, how he loved us. But with every thorn that pierced his brow, it also pierced the heart of God. Through the dusk of that awful day, we see him on the cross. We hear him cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see how he loved us. But looking down from his throne of light and glory was God the Father. And every nail that pierced his hand, his hands and feet, pierced the heart of God. And why? Because he loved you. Because he loved you. Because he loved you. Because he loved you. For those of you at home and listening on the radio, because he loved you. End quote. The love of God is truly wonderful. The question today is what will you do with that love? There are only two options. You can either accept it, embrace the love of God, or you reject it. For me, after hearing of this great love that God has for me and for you, I don't know how anyone could harden their hearts against the love of God. John tells us the key to understanding the Father is found in three simple words. God is love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to proclaim your word today. Thank you, Father, that you are indeed a God of love. And thank you that you were not content to just tell us, but that you demonstrated your love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. Father, if there's anyone here today in this room watching online or listening on the radio that has never experienced the love of God through Jesus Christ, I pray today that your love would overwhelm them. I pray today that they would give their life to you, that they would seek your forgiveness of your sins, that they would place their faith, their belief, their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that they would find new life in you. Father, for the believer today, God, may we we have been reminded of your love. And God, if we're in that place of life where we're wandering, maybe we're in a difficult season, God, may you so overwhelm us with your love that it is your love that draws us back into right fellowship with you. Father, if we are here today, God, and we have not been showing love for one another, God, I pray that today we could reconcile those differences. Because it's what you've called us to do and not just called, you have commanded God. So when we do not love one another, we walk in disobedience. So if we need to reconcile, Father, with one another today, whatever we need to do to make it right with each other, let us just do it whatever we need to do. God, may you be glorified now in this time of invitation. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. We're about to sing a song, and this is an opportunity for you to respond to God's word. Like I said, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, we want you to come, and we would love to share with you how you can know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Believer, this is a time for you. Maybe it's a time for you to spend time in prayer. Maybe you wanna come to the altar and pray. The altar is always open. Whatever you need to do today, now is the time. Would you stand as we sing?